But it's good to be with you here today, and uh, we want to look into the Word of God. Pastor Phil's story about waking up reminded me of a story I heard about uh, a young man who probably should have moved out a long time ago, but he was still living at home, and it was Sunday morning. So his mother came into the bedroom and uh, shook him. You've got to go to church. Wake up, wake up. And uh, he said, no, I'm not going, I'm not going. And he rolled over. She came back a few minutes later and shook him again. She said, you have to go. He said, why do I have to go? She said, you're the pastor. And uh, <laughs> so sometimes even pastors don't, don't feel like going to church. Uh, by the way, a little, little dark secret, you wonder what kind of nightmares do pastors have. One of them would be coming late to church and unprepared, you know, it's just like, and, uh, you know, I was having trouble printing my sermon off this morning, and it was almost a bit of a nightmare. But, um, but then again, uh, it's the Word of God, and we have a great topic. I want to talk to you this morning about the incarnation. So this is the season of incarnation. Now, that's a, that's a church word. Uh, the girl that was cutting my hair yesterday asked me, well, what are you speaking on? We got into a conversation, and uh, you notice I did get a haircut. You know, so it's probably a little shorter than my parents like, but uh, whatever. And I like to get my money's worth when I go in there. So uh, she said, well, what are you speaking on? I said, well, I'm speaking on the incarnation. And I thought, I don't think that's a word she's probably familiar with. And so I just began to talk to her about uh, the wonder that we have that uh, that God should come to be a person. And this is the heart of Christmas. We know it, but it's, um, it's like one of these uh, teachings that, that easily, it just slips by us because it's so difficult for us to grasp, and yet it's so, so important. I want to illustrate the struggle we have with coming to terms that God should come and become a person uh, through, through a little stamp controversy that happened. And I don't know if you have the uh, picture that you'd come up. Now, um, this is a picture of uh, a U.S. stamp, and there was a postal controversy in 1996 regarding this particular stamp. What we have here is a reproduction of a painting of 1712 by Italian artist Paolo Di Matteis. And this features a blue-robed Madonna gazing down at the Christ child who is kicking her heels on his lap. While St. Luke in his gospel tells us that um, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, uh, Matthias just kind of left him a little bit buck naked there. And this is what threw the postal authorities into a tizzy. As they examined it, and columnist uh, Peter Rexford of the Washington Post explained, Someone at the Postal Service thought the Christ child, minus his swaddling clothes, was too anatomically explicit. And so, with a few strokes of an airbrush, a Postal Service artist transformed the child into an asexual being. Interesting. Well, the controversy was, people said, well, you, you can't do that. You can't do that. That's not an accurate representation of who Jesus is, of how God came into this world. So they restored the baby's manhood, so to speak, and it blew over and became you know, a stamp that was issued by the U.S. Postal Service. But what it illustrates is a controversy that has been going since the earliest days of the church, where artists struggle to depict both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus. Medieval artists tended to focus on Christ's deity. We see the majestic Christ coming. Uh, but then during the Victorian artists, artists emphasized the humanity of Christ, showing the gentle Jesus. But the greatest religious artist 
brought together the deity and the humanity of Christ. And that is what Matthias did. He shows Jesus as a real human child, squirming in his mother's arms, yet there is a light around him, and that light is poured onto Mary and all those who are with him. The scene is charged with symbols of Christ's divinity. And this is the mystery of the incarnation. So today I want to talk to you about how God has come to us. And some of you, uh, maybe you're here, maybe just you came last night or yesterday to the program, so you thought you'd just check it out, but you, you know, aren't comfortable with the idea, or this is really a stretch. And, and we have to admit, this is really where the rubber hits the road for us as Christians. Uh, we talk about Easter, and that is the you know, the pinnacle of Christ's work for us. But it's really at Christmas where, you know, the, the, where the, the offense starts. See, people are okay to talk about God because, well, when we live in this world as complex as it is, you know, science has told us that, you know, we're going to answer all the questions, but probably in the last 25 years or so, people have gotten a little disillusioned with that shtick. Like, science is awesome, but it seems like the more we learn the more mysterious it gets. It seems like the farther we can see into the universe, you know, the harder it is to grasp how this all happened just by chance. So people are willing to give that maybe there is some kind of intelligent design as long as it's far off. As long as it doesn't affect my lifestyle, sure, you could believe in God. A lot of people believe in God. But when you're talking about God coming to this world in a particular person to communicate with specific requirements and truth to you and to me. Now that's, that's shocking and that's incredibly difficult to understand. How could such a thing be? How could God do that? Why would he do that? And what does it mean for us? And those are the questions I want to look at with you. First of all, why should God care? Why would he do that? In all the universe, with its millions of, gal- of galaxies and unimaginable distances and time and darkness, why would God consider con- condescending to become one of us? Why would he do that? And who can know the mind of God? But in the scripture and in the person of Jesus, we have this communicated to us quite clearly. He did it because he loves us. He loves us. God is love. We can say a lot of things about the attributes of God that we've discovered. We, dis- we talk about God being merciful. We talk about God's justice. But those things come about because we, we need those things because, because of the injustice around us. We need God's mercy because if he's not merciful, I'm in trouble. So those are attributes and characteristics of God that exist because of the trouble we have created. But love, the Word of God tells us, is something that has existed in God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three persons of God, have existed in love from eternity past. Long before we came on the scene, God is love. And His love caused Him to choose, to create, and to come and engage with us. Now that is amazing. The angel Gabriel was sent from God with a message, according to Luke. 
for Mary. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. It was a revelation of the love of God. And, of course, Mary and her adoration of the baby uh, gives us a credible insight uh, of, of that bond of love. You know, uh, it's a well-known fact that a mother has a great love for a child. You know, we even have that saying, if the kid's not that good-looking, and apparently my head was really dis- misshapen, which I don't think was my fault, but anyway, when I came out. And, but you know the saying, well, that's a face only a mother could love. And... Uh, we know that because there's something about the bond of a mother's love with a, with a child. God loves us that way. I mean, to a much greater degree. But he loves us because we're his. A while ago, I was trying to do a listening to God exercise that Phil will be familiar with. I wrote down a question. And I asked the Lord, what do you want me to know? It was in the context of my devotions. I've been reading scripture, but I asked the Lord in writing. I've tried this a few times because taking things into writing sort of boosts it from the realm of my thoughts and puts it on paper. Just sort of amps up the game a little bit, you know, of my conversation with God. So I wrote it down. What do you want me to know? And I thought, oh, this is just going to be my own thoughts, I know. But I'll write it down. So I wrote down, for God, his answer was, I want you to know I love you. Okay, I wrote, so, well, why do you love me? And then the answer that came to my heart was, I love you because you're my child. I love you because you're mine. I created you, and then I died for you. That's why I love you. And later on, the Lord convicted me, you've got to stop connecting your sense of how much I love you to how well you're doing. Just stop it. You have a little tiny measuring cup of your own goodness. And it's, a, it's got a hole in the bottom. You know, I scoop up, here's my good deeds. And as I look at them, there's a hole in the bottom. They're pouring out because I look at my good deeds whenever I do closely and I think, oh, they're selfish anyway. What good are they? And I realize my cup, based on my deeds, I don't receive much love. So then I doubt Does anybody, do you struggle sometimes? I do. Does God love me? But then God says to you and I, you're my child. I chose you. I created you. That's why he came. Another reason why he came is because we're in desperate trouble. And uh, my tech guy is trying to figure out where I am, but you'll figure it out eventually. Don't worry about the slides. They can't see them anyway. (laughs) The second reason is because we're in desperate trouble. Do I need, do, do, does anyone need proof about this? Like, this is one I, I, I could, we could all quote a verse of scripture, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, but I find that Bible verses aren't going to convince you that you're in trouble. Uh, you'll come to a point in your life, if you haven't already, and this isn't a crowd full of too many really young people, uh, but you, you will come to a point in your life where you realize I'm, I need help, and uh, my life is actually not as in control as I thought. And if you're not convinced of that, and nothing I say will convince you. But the world is in trouble, and you and I are part of the world, 
And that's why Jesus came, and that's why God would come. And uh, brothers and sisters, every day we watch the news these days, and I think, you know, I'm thinking about Advent in a different way. Advent is the season of Christ's coming. And I'm thinking, but maybe, maybe the second coming is getting close. With the announcement of, the, uh, of what's happening in Israel and Jerusalem, I just thought, man, like, I, I, you know, I don't track with the, you know, with the full date setting and, you know, when this piece is in place and that piece is in place, but doesn't it just feel like the temperature keeps turning up and up and up? We're in trouble in this world. And, uh, and I'm sure many of you have prayed the prayer, Lord, if not now, when? Uh, the drug use, the divorce, the dysfunction and addiction that we are struggling with in our society. We are in trouble. And God knows it. And he has a plan. Why did he come? Because it's according to his plan. This is what the gospel stories tell us. And what we celebrate And when we look at Matthew, we find he starts with a genealogy. He tells us all about the coming of Jesus from of ancient times. And he quotes the ancient prophets who said, In Bethlehem, according to Micah. Or he quotes Isaiah. It says, A child will be born. A virgin will give birth to a son. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, as Phil read today. The Prince of Peace. The government will be upon his shoulders. The story of the Messiah coming is told from ancient of times because God has a plan. From the beginning, he knew our pathway. And so how did God do this? Let's ask that question. Well, here we get to the heart of the mystery and uh, I can only walk with you around the events and we can look at them and ponder the mystery because we'll never uh, really fully understand how it is that Mary became pregnant, but the scripture tells us it was a miracle pregnancy. She was born of, by, got pregnant of the Holy Spirit. And there's many, uh, you know, ancient Greek stories about the gods coming to earth and finding, you know, a beautiful woman and the children that were born. I mean, for goodness sake, that's what they believed about Caesar Augustus, you know, that maybe he was a god and had divine origins. But the scripture tells this story nothing like a myth or a made-up fable. It tells us of events that are clearly miraculous, but in factual stories. These are real people, uh, sort of, you know, stout, doubting stock. These are fishermen and, and, and people who are show-me kind of people, show-me the facts, and they tell the story of how the angels came and of how this miracle birth happened. Joseph himself doubted it. How could such a thing be? But God came not by having sex with a woman, but miraculously uh, he impregnated Mary with the seed that became the God-man, Jesus, our Savior. A miracle. The early church uh, really struggled to identify how this happened, and uh, so they, they formed doctrines around this. And uh, that was one of the first things that the early church began to hammer out, um, how the second person of the Trinity, Jesus the Son, took on her, our humanity. In Nicaea in 325, a council confirmed the divinity and the humanity of Christ. Um, 
J.I. Packer writes uh, to describe this, a theologian there in Vancouver at Regent College writes, the two natures, divine and human, united in his personal being without mixture, confusion, separation, or division, that each nature retained its own attributes, in other words, all qualities and powers that are in us, as well as all the qualities and powers that are in God, were, are, and ever will be distinguishably present in the one person of the man from Galilee. Wow, okay, do we even understand that? It's like we have a box that describes who Jesus is. That box is pure miracle. It's God and man together. But that box also helps us understand that ideas of who Jesus is outside of that are false and inadequate. They fall short. Why is that important? Because as Hebrews tell us, Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is the image of God. He is the perfect revelation. If we want to know God, we look at Jesus. And he brings God to us so we can understand God. That's incarnation. So we could understand God. He came to us. And so, adequate, or explanations of who Jesus is that fall short. Say, well, you know, he was just a high angel. You know, one of the groups believes that. He's just a high angel. No, that is not who Jesus is. Well, you know, he was an idea. The branches of Christianity say, you know, Jesus was an idea. Uh, maybe there was a physical person, but that's not what we worship. We worship the idea. We have some Christians say it really doesn't matter whether he was incarnational. This is just a, a myth. No, it matters. And Christians and the church have said this is, this is who God has revealed himself to be. He was baptized as we are, yet affirmed by the Holy Spirit as the Son of God, the forgiver of sins. Why is this important? Because he's like us in every way. He was hungry. He was betrayed by his friends. He was elated and rejoiced when his disciples got it. Uh, He grieved uh, when his cousin John was murdered. He had compassion. He got angry at religious leaders and falsehood. He was tempted, according to Hebrews 4.15, in every way as we are. He gets us. You have... You have access to God in relationship and He gets you. He was tempted in every way like you. He's compassionate. He cares for you. That's important to us. And yet, He is our Savior. C.S. Lewis uh, was a you know, famous professor at Oxford and also an atheist but, uh, at, before he came to faith in Christ. Uh, but he called this the great miracle. He said, from this miracle, all others unfold. The Apostles' Creed in the 4th century states this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. It matters. And God did it by miracle for a reason. What does it mean for us? Well, the first thing is, it's a rescue. He came to rescue us. He's for us. He knows our situation. And when I think of this story, I think of uh, 
uh, a book that I read a few years ago. I listened to it on audio called Deep Dark Down. Anybody uh, read that book or know the story I'm talking about? It's the rescue seven years ago in 2010 of the Chilean miners, the 33. They were trapped 600 meters underground by a massive collapse at the San Jose copper mine in the Atacama Desert of Chile. 69 days. 69 days. And it was, I mean, it was a terrible, terrible situation. Their lives uh, in danger, no communication, until finally a hole was drilled through and they heard the drilling and they prayed. And as the author uh, of this book tells the story, these men were bonded together in prayer. They had a Bible and they gathered around the Word of God together. At the beginning, they started fighting with each other. One of them had grabbed, you know, the little bit of food that there was and they were surviving on a can of tuna divided between 33 men every day. And so they, uh, they were, and they began to starve, but they prayed together And when there was fighting and infighting, they got together and repented. And the men began to meditate on their sufferings and Christ. And they were amazed that there was 33 of them. And Christ was 33 when he was crucified. And they they thought about his presence with them and it filled them with hope. And they prayed together and not a one of them died. And miraculously, the teams that were drilling, but they, they, they didn't know, they were just blindly drilling to where they thought these people might be, broke through. And finally, a NASA-developed capsule they called the Phoenix was sent down. And uh, a man came down in that capsule. And uh, one at a time, those 33 miners were rescued from there. And they gave thanks to God, and they stuck together. Over a billion people watched that on television, that rescue. How many of you saw that? Yeah, many of us. That rescue, God sent his son to us. He found us and has rescued us and given us hope. He has come to your deep, dark down. Where you are today, you may feel in darkness. And one day you were. And maybe you remember distinctly that feeling when God came to you and said, I am for you. I have come for you. John 1.12 tells us to all who received him, to believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of blood, nor of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. He came for rescue. And of course we know how that rescue unfolded. Secondly, he came for friendship. What does this do for us? It gives us friendship. It's not just a rescue that one day, you know, we'll be taken to heaven from this place, though we look forward to that. But he's with us today. Friendship with God. Now, for those of us that, you know, we read the gospel accounts, we think, well, wouldn't that be awesome to have physically walked with Jesus? I mean, those disciples, they got the better deal. But now, as Jesus ascended, he has sent his living spirit to be with us. And when we receive Jesus, when we open up our hearts to the, the, the Christ who came, he pro- sends his promised spirit into our hearts and we actually begin a living relationship with God that has conversation, that has hope, that has affirmation. You and I have access to a relationship with God, friendship with God. 
It's not just to rescue us to heaven, but to bring heaven into our lives today. I'm always discouraged when I meet a Christian who says, well, you know, I just tried and I felt nothing but guilt and I just felt like I wasn't doing enough. And I thought, who sold you a bill of God's, of goods about your relationship with God? God isn't up there looking at you to measure up. That's you with your tiny cup coming to him. He has poured out his love on you. You're his child. Does a father, a mother abandon their child because they're, you know, going to a dysfunctional, rebellious stage or whatever? No, they stand by them in prayer and God is standing by you. He still is reaching out to you and to me in friendship. And our faith should fill us with joy to experience that friendship, bringing heaven into our lives. But not only that, it gives us a mission. God is still coming to this world. And here's the thing about the incarnation that's really relevant for us and for you as Willow Park Church. And you're expressing it this weekend. See, because what does the Word of God call the church? The body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. On that little picture, that we could see, oh, that baby, that's the body of Christ. But the Scripture says, no, we are the body of Christ. So if we are the body of Christ, that means we are incarnating Christ in this world today. We have a mission to carry on, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Literally, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. So you as a church, finding ways to say, Lord, through this Christmas season, this is an opportunity. Let's do the living nativity. Let's reach out. Let's share the message. Let's do whatever we can. Let's host Alpha. Let's serve a meal. Let's reach out to a neighbor. Let's see a person in crisis and say, how can I help you? How can I tell you the good news? That's our mission. Christ didn't save you so you could try harder to be less of a sinner than you used to be. He came into your life to transform you, to shape his character in you, and he's doing that. He is doing it by, your, by his spirit in you. So cooperate with him. Yeah, we're a work in process. Yeah, there's stuff to turn from and but we help each other so that we can incarnate Christ. One of my favorite movies uh, is the movie Lincoln. And in that movie, British actor Daniel Day-Lewis uh, portrays this, uh, you know, this legendary figure from U.S. history, really one of the greatest leaders, uh, most admired leaders in the world. And uh, I, I just was mesmerized watching it. I remember one scene where it was just the back of Lincoln and he was walking, and I thought... Like, how did he do that? Even his walk, because when, I've read books about Lincoln, and he was a gangly man, and they often comment about his, you know, his legs that appeared too long for him and, and the way he walked. And even this actor, when he was walking from the back, you're thinking, oh my word, it's like he embodies Lincoln. And da- Daniel Day-Lewis is well known for how he, how he uh, embraces a character and he, he read over 100 books on Lincoln. And for the year before his acting, he began to embody this character. And once he became Lincoln, he was Lincoln in all of his life, like in his marriage. And that is, when he received the Oscar for it, he gave kudos to his wife. He said, that's the hero. She had to live with a really crazy man for a whole year, you know. And, and he embodied Lincoln. And I thought, well, that's amazing how one person can take on another person's character. Listen, this is the mission that Christ has in us. The Lord Jesus, that amazing person, wants to embody your life and mine. 
And you don't have to read a hundred books. You have his very spirit indwelling you. But you should get into the word and read the stories of how he behaved and then say, living Lord Jesus in my life. Now live through me. Now live through me. In this marriage that I'm struggling with, live through me. With these children that I'm struggling with, live through me. With myself, Lord, that I'm struggling with and my character, live through me. Show your spirit through me. No, people have tried to make Jesus a symbol of divinity, an idea of God, maybe just a good man that was born. But the author, Demetes, got it right. And if we look at this picture at the end, we see uh, the image of the Christ child, fully human, fully God. But in the painting, not only is there a light coming from the baby Jesus' head, But the baby Jesus there has his arms outstretched. And that's not a normal position for a baby. But they're outstretched like they're to be crucified. And so the author is showing us this infant that is born who is fully human but has the light of God in his life and is coming with a purpose to redeem all people. That's the incarnation. That's what we're seeking to celebrate this season. May you experience the living Lord Jesus in such a rich and deep way this season. Open your heart up to it. And as you go through the traditions, whatever they are with your family, your children, your grandchildren, recognize that it's not just a story you're mulling through, but you're trying to help them understand the incredible grace of the incarnation that God came to us and he's coming again amen